Hello, and welcome to <clears throat> the prequel, um, <clears throat> series of prequ prequels, titled, um, bef The, uh, Life Before the Alien Magic. This is episode four of chapter three, um, chapter three named The Birth of the Three. Uh, this is episode four. Um, hope you enjoy it. King Pink of the elves stood beside Charon of the North Wood. The pair were a peculiar couple, not at ease in either one's company, holding back the talons, staying the fierce jaws, each wanting to consume the other. The pair watched in reverent silence as fiery missiles sparkled across the twilight sky, crashing through the colorful aflame foliage of the forest canopy and consuming the village bundle of thistles. Finally, the long, slender fingers of the elf wrapped around the wrist of the silver snake. He broke his silence, like shattering glass, as disturbing and unwelcome. He identified the man's soul to be like his own, armored dung beetles. Is this to be the end of the peoples of the North Wood? His own being was wrapped up there, as it was concealed beneath every stone of the North Wood, and draped over every branch. Charon kicked at a clump of dust. Finally, he added, It is my hope that it is not. I understand you hold a weapon. A weapon that threatens devastating results. A weapon that, when brought to the fore, will cause a civil war among six villages of the Northwood and achieve the survival of the rest of the Northwood. Despite this rebellion, or because of it, the people of the Northwood are the only hope humanity has of fending off the elves. The elves must not have this weapon. King Pink smiled curiously, throwing up a blur of a mask, amusing himself, and challenging the human to uncover the true person behind him. I can give you this weapon. I can save your people, though the elves would want different. But there is something you must give to me in return. King Pink smiled wistfully and looked away at the embers descending upon the terrified and pained villagers. Elven archers blinked in and out of reality like the filaments of light bulbs. They effectively struck down any villager that managed to escape the conflagration that was the village and made it within the cover of the forest. People fell, shrieking, stricken by silver-shafted arrows. Houses groaned and collapsed upon themselves, crumbling like wounded beasts. The village of Bundle of Thistles had to die. One, it had lost its mayor at the hands of Chicouvre. Tendril had to hold a firm grip over his village, but he refused to share his authority with anyone, only gave scrolls to everyone to, pl to placate them and undermine anyone with ambition. Now that Tendril was dead, persons in the village were with unique dispositions and prejudices were striking out at one another to establish their own governance. Further, the village was the first to be visited by the one mother. Two of its officers were slain by her. Their wealth and their scrolls were distributed among the villagers she favored. Many openly accepted the god of the one mother to be their god. The village bundle of thistles had to visibly pay a price to demonstrate that the one mother and the god she worshipped were frauds. 
Those that wanted to keep the North Wood the eminent place that it was must necessarily excise the cancer that was a religion proffered by the one mother, Celeste. Every village that accepted to, uh, to believe in any god was in open rebellion against the North Wood. Each of these villages had to be treated this way. King Pink's eyes sparkled in the fire glow of the burning village. Eyes that witnessed the fires of creation. Eyes that anticipated the judgment of hell. As both landscapes were indistinguishable from each other. Finally, he said, You may have the, we the weapon. I fear for the people, the North Wood, should, fall, should it fall into the wrong hands. Especially, particularly, elven hands. No, the elves I represent, we will surrender you the weapon. Charon thought about that, what those eyes were communicating. Did they say anything? Did they not say, did they not slay and subdue in a silent, confounding way? Glass baubles positioned in a flaky paper mache mask. King Pink looked into the eyes of Charon with his own onyx eyes, black like pools of bottomless waters. King Pink gave a bloody knife to Charon. The elf acknowledged, It is this knife that killed the mother in the village of Copperwheel. It is this knife that can be linked to the annihilation of that village of humans. It is th this knife that has the prince of a half-elf on it, in blood. The prince of a half-elf in King Sosha's high command. Charon wanted to ask where the king got his got this evidence. Perhaps it was best not to know. I will take this knife and single-handedly divide the half-elves and the humans. The greater threat to humanity is not the elves. It is the humans that choose to fight beside the half-elves. And with that said, Charon thrust his, his, the bloody knife into his satchel and left King Pink and his murderous elves as their flaming arrows continued to pummel village bundle of thistles. Once Charon had disappeared from view, King Pink staggered and swallowed hard and began to convulse. He had been dreading this day for centuries. He nearly took his own life on three separate occasions just a week ago now. Teary-eyed, he considered his fellow elven soldiers, his brethren, who would pay for their assault on those who upheld the one mother, on those villages that accepted the new god, they had eradicated three entire villages and would destroy another three within a fortnight. The one mother and the full bloods served the same God, the God who must refuse being a God and must allow for the persecution and death of his believers if the faith in him was to take hold. If the full bloods were to survive, these soldiers on the front lines would ultimately need to be destroyed. There would be a purge. Nearly all the full-blood elves would nece must necessarily be eliminated. King Pink knew what he had to do. He purposefully failed three times before. This time his life would be taken. The first victim of the imminent war of the races. The first sacrifice for the god who already was, but who must become something else. King Sosha was sh shocking his irritating flaky skin as he sat at a table with his boisterous and guffawing high command. Fastened to the table with leather straps was a man, a man who had himself surrendered his family and his wealth 
and his life to eradicate, to eradicate the rampaging storm of half-elves, all to save his village from participating in the foul act he demanded of all. The man, who, the man had sought the good graces of the new king. He saw in him something that must be respected. Too bad for him and his family. King Socha scowled as the man wrestled with his restraints. So you would have me forgive license and disobedience? He gauged the delight of the others. King Socha found, him, found pleasure in making their meal scream. The diners took fork and sharpened blade and inserted them, searching, digging, sharing with exuberance the knowledge of those nerves tapped. A bald wizard with a distinguished aristocratic air to him entered the village owned by King Socha, the latest of the villages won by the hybrids. Socha now was the undisputed king of the half-elves, as well as of humans who had reason to fear his appetites. He accomplished this by slaying all the lords and ladies that refused to come to the victory table. As the revelers, both half-elf and elf, uh, both half-elf and human, themselves congregated and voted to partying, the wizard coughed into his fist. What is it you want, demanded King Socha harshly, unless it is you want to feed us next. The wizard Algernon stepped back, then said, I promise you a fortress of persons to dine on, the castle Wren. Have you not known it? have you not once eaten the flesh of an elf? A sheer delight, I assure you. So I have heard. I promise you Castle Wren. All, if you offer something to me in return, all so that I may develop a rapport with the boldest and most feared king throughout the Abyssane. There was a cheer from among the half-elves, high command, such that King Socho stirred. Most were sick with the actions that were expected of them. As for those who did delight in generating pain and in removing and consuming human flesh, the half-breed king took silent note. These needed to be watched, for fear they could give themselves over to such license that they could not be restrained. He knew that these could be fed only by the king's own flesh. They needed to be held close. Curious, replied King Socha, through a mouthful, through a mouthful of human flesh. I must admit, the first one to come to me, wanting an audience and not to save his kingdom, what is it you have to offer? Socha's entourage of half-elves were not impressed. They ignored the curious man. They dismissed the prayers and the screams of their writhing meal as they continued to cut, tapping the nerves, chasing, touching the soul. I have something I would like to exchange with you. I have a weapon. I offer you Castle Wren and the fearless, distinguished elves within, all for something you have. For you dismiss me as someone worthy to stick a fork in, swarthy individual. Let me offer you this one gift, a gift that will benefit you in your war against those you despise above all others. Castle Wren is the only place one can effectively strike the world of the elves. You kill one elf and the others forfeit the castle. Turn it over and capture the one way the non-elves have of entering the paradise that is the first forest, and hold heaven hostage for those who cherish above all things that one place. 
King Sosha stopped in mid-chew. Finally, through a mouthful of meat, he said, Okay, you have my attention. What weapon do you possess that can change the fact that the half-breeds lose every battle they have at? They ever enter into with the elves and stand to lose every one, every other one. Tell me the truth. Is it a weapon? I must fear myself. We might be only slightly elven, but we have reason to fear even worse than those exclusively human. Isn't that right, nameless meal on the table? Algernon moved to the rear of the horse. He snaked a hand inside a saddlebag and took out a vial filled with a green ooze and the object cupped in his hand approached the head of the table. What's that? queried General Prenhook, seated at the right hand of the king. Does it smell? Does it blind? What, what about taste? Maybe we can make the elves run from the hills if they find it unpleasing to their cursed senses. You know elves do not appreciate taste, don't you? Nothing like that, replied the, the wizard offhandedly. If I may see your knife... The general shrugged, then produced his blade and watched half-heartedly as the wizard took the weapon and smeared the slimy contents of the jar on the edge of it. Algernon remarked candidly, as if searching to frighten the host of the meal. The poison is called elf lime, an ugly poison, to be sure. Among humans, yes, but certainly among the elves. General Prenhook was quite terrified. He slid back, looking to crawl under the table, under a rock. If only he had the, envi the enviable ability to disappear. He was not elf enough for that, though he was to suffer from, his, from this debilitating poison. Algernon then took the blade, and stepping behind General Pugletz, he thrust the blade into his chest, twisting it. As Pugletz convulsed. The wizard stated matter-of-factly, you must be careful to avoid the heart. Landing wounds in specific non-lethal locations. Don't get me wrong, I'm not one for compassion. Far from it. You don't want to kill the target. For best effect, you must touch those few spots. His soul can be isolated and tapped. Everyone followed General Prenhook's dramatic lead and sprang from the table. Everyone save King Sosha, who was impressed with the cruel effects the toxin was having on the unfortunate general. It entered. It seemed he. It seemed he entertained cruel thoughts. The wizard explained, "What makes elven, what makes elves unique, is their silent, thoroughly unconquerable network with every other elf. They demonstrate a powerful empathy. They use it as a weapon." a weapon defeating those in opposition to them. Their strength is that one elf is never alone. I have this, which makes this weapon of theirs most vulnerable. This poison severs every, t every tie the victim has with another. It opens so many mouths, screaming, clamoring, hungry mouths. The targeted elf is denied any compassion, any hope, any shame. He becomes foreign to everything, including himself. I don't know what it's like. What I do know is that it's fr a frightful end to any elf. Well, to anyone, for that matter. They did what they could to minimize the intense terror, each one uttering the first mm -hmm. word that came to mind. 
having the others repeat the word over and over in unison, thrusting the anxiety by such expressions out into, out into the open, targeting the fright with words that rhymed or defined or helped clarify the experience. So the somber half-elves circled around the quaking general puglets. What are you? This is the worst pain. How can you do this to us? We know as much empathy as the elves do. More, as we demonstrate a terror, a terror we can only diffuse with our words. We must be pitied more than any human. King Socha laughed, licking his ruby-red lips. He motioned to General Prenthuch to step in and create another wound with the toxic slime on the blade. The general stood transfixed, looking at the blade as if it were a snake. Algernon intervened. He took the knife, then searched thoroughly with his fist for a knot of flesh, for a soul-touched body. He inserted the knife. General Puglatz barked and fought and foamed at the mouth, clawing at the wizard, demanding mercy, eyes widening with, stream, with steam rolling despair. King Sosha frowned. Ah, I'm getting to like this stuff. It targets the elf, where the elf lives and thrives. Not so much a bad thing. You have elf line. You have my attention. What do you seek of me and my half-elf nation? The wizard nodded. I need your help, elf's possible. As for me, I require something in exchange. This general here will do. You may not eat of his flesh, nor drink of his blood. He is a gift to me, a dying man, a doomed man. That's all I need. What do you say? We will use every elf's compassion and love against him. You must know that if the elves have numbers, they are impossible to defeat. But if we have one, if we have only one, and we make use of this poison on this one, Victory is possible. Victory is undeniable. The elves will have nothing except silence and fear. On the order of King Sosha, General Prenhook took a moment to, to recover, then grappled the fighting, twisting body of the stricken General Puglitz. The celebrants lifted the man, though his actions made it most difficult to hold and carry the body, then threw him on the wizard's horse. King Sosha smiled. We have only to wound one elf, taint his soul with this elf lime, and Castle Wren, and the hope it guards, will belong to us, the half-breeds, the victors. The half-breeds will own not only the Abyssin, but also the first forest. The half-breeds will rule as they are entitled. Algernon took the frenzied, quaking body of General Puglets. He proceeded slowly. The stricken general calling out and shaking as the pair made their way from the village of the half-breeds. Eventually, the wizard entered a clearing, where stood the god Rigor. You'll be richly rewarded for serving me, acknowledged the god. This is the one thing I require, to be complete, confirmed the shucking adolescent. The two took the next half-hour erecting a pyre. They silently, reverently exposed the shouting victim to the flame. Algernon took 
Rigger's hand is both stood watching the flames consume the half-elf's body. Rigger was, was no longer a cowardly shadow and a lie due to the sacrifice. Rigger was now a god, and Algernon had influence over the sky. King Pink, leader of the garrison of the full-blood elves, the most skilled, most battle-tested elves contained in the fortress castle, Ren, stood atop the battlements, springing lithely from one stone atop another, stone block to another. What is this I see? the elf king asked, of no one in particular, of every one of the elves throughout the Abyssine, calling upon them, alerting them to impending battle. I see the vista, the water-worn vista of tomorrow. Where are the elves? Where is the promise that the elves must surely own the Abyssine? They wait. They think victory is assured them. But a shadow has come upon the Abyssine. As the sun touched the horizon on this fateful morning, King Pink watched as the armies of the despicable half-breeds assembled under the banner of the Sphinx, congregating on the dusty battlefield that stretched out for miles all around the castle. The priestly, dwarven, clever lights, and humans marched smartly, some six thousand. Alone, though most distinguished and brave, stood King Chase, lone representative of the Wukdu nation. King Pink called out from his place atop the battlements, Who is this that thinks they can challenge the dominion of the elves? Your army is what, eight thousand? But you are half-elves. You know fear. You respect pain. You won't last a day, and that with a scrimmage against a modest scouting party of our own. King Sosha swaggered forward, chuckling. We have come to discuss the terms of your surrender. King Pink denounced the vulgar king of the hybrids. We represent the peace and the sun and the eternal harvest. We are entrusted with the caretaking of all those who call the Abyssine home. We know it. Yet you would engage in war against the elves, who have not once lost. You would target the full bloods, advance guard, get past us and reach the first forest, a place forbidden all of the races of the Abyssine, a place of beauty and solace, but only for the for us elves. There is no getting past this one entrance to what the elves know as heaven. You are foolish, as is all those who hope to enter heaven, and have hoped to enter heaven here. Under your feet lie the graves of those who generations ago thought you th thought as you think. One swift arrow barely missed King Pink. The elven troops fell back as the one soldier inflicted with the arrow covered in green goo folded in on himself and collapsed. He transformed before their eyes, finally becoming a burning flame, a large boil, a dancing light show that promised the onlookers grief and uncommon despair. What is this horror? asked one elf, <clears throat> aching to comfort the distorted and corrupt mass. What are we suffering? What good could come of a defeat of elves who are broken and made something less than elves? I appreciate elves enough to know that we must not have a world without elves in it. Do not touch him, charged the king. I've been scared I've been scared by this element before. I've seen it. It grabs and draws you out, as if you are lead, molten lead, 
a substance thoroughly drained of your being. The poison will enter your mind if you're lucky, your soul if you're not. Do you see what I see? Is this the end of the elves? King Sosha declared, We have struck one of yours. We wounded his flesh, but not his soul. We are merciful. Well, merciful is too strong a word. We are careful. We want to, be, to negotiate with an elven army that commands its race and will respect the terms we make and will remain a significant body throughout the Abyssin, not an elven stronghold breached and its occupants defeated. We seek victory worth having. What do you want from us? queried King Pake. I assure you, the elves have nothing you can use. The elves have everything we want. Do you know what it is like to be an elf and owned by death? You do not. You do not see our doom and despair. You, King Pink, hold in your hand the key. We want heaven. You do not know what is best for us. Do let us in. Let your brethren in, that we may enjoy the first forest, as you all do. King Bing shook his head. I do not know what to tell you. We have seen it before, at least once every generation. You are inferior, corrupt, stained. The place you this this place will burn you. Like smelting fires, there will be no peace for you there. Humans cannot appreciate what is offered there. Humans fail and die there. Those is inferior as humans. The half-breeds suffer the same. That is all that is allowed for them there. I am sorry. So be it. Behold, you have begun the war among the races. For every day you delay the inevitable. An elf will suffer the elf lime and fade. Like ash, like yesterday. You must know what that feels like. A purging flame, a toxin introduced to the bloodstream. We only ask that you give up to, uh, to us your place here. We may not have heaven, but if we ha will not have it, then neither will you. And that concludes chapter four, episode four of chapter three, Birth of the Three. I uh, hope you enjoyed it, um, and uh, I will have another uh, installment available next week. Thanks for listening. Bye now.